Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. I'll be hosting this episode. I'm a software developer and tech leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Web3 and virtual reality are my current time suck, and I am passionate about technology and entrepreneurship. As the founder and CTO of New Idea Machine, giving back to the community is important to me. I am always available to offer advice on technology and business. In this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with one of the most interesting and inspiring people that I've ever met. Let's get to my conversation with Brown Eagle Belanger. All right, welcome everyone to the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast for Rainforest Alberta. Today, I'm really excited to have a special guest, Brown Eagle Belanger, uh, is, is just the most interesting person. And, you know, there is quite a bit of time prior to this actual sitting down at our podcast where people were telling him that he needed to talk to me and I, and I was being told I need to talk to him. So we finally been able to connect. And then I thought, instead of sitting down with him and figuring out all who he is and all that without anybody being around, I thought, why don't we do a podcast and then we'll, we'll learn all up. So I'm going to about to learn a lot more about Brown Eagle in addition to you all getting to hear that as well. So Brown Eagle, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me and uh, definitely a good opportunity to be able to share my story and how far I've come. So I yeah. appreciate that. Okay, so have an inkling of of what your sort of like the tail end of your story, like what you're trying to accomplish, which I really want to talk about. But what what I where I want to start is kind of your, you know, how you grew up and and your you have a really interesting story. So please just take it away. Absolutely. Thank you. And I appreciate that allowing me to share my story. I have a pretty unique story and I uh, come from a lot of life experiences. So with me, uh, I was born into uh, the child family services, the foster care system, and I was a birth alert. I was a 60s group survivor. And, you know, with that, you know, there's a lot of trials and tribulations as a child growing up without any parents, uh, growing up uh, really, really fast and just going through the hard challenges in life as, as a young child. And you know, one thing led to another with, with that type of lifestyle, being forced into that, that environment from home to home, living in two shelters. You know, I used to be like a huge runaway, running away from foster, foster homes and that. A lot, of, a lot of abuse behind that. And ended up joining, uh, joining a street gang when I was really young. And one thing led to another, obviously. And, you know, being transitioned into foster care system, which is a colonial ecosystem from the Canadian government to transition to the justice system and becoming into the justice system. You know, I did, I did 12 years in Stony Mountain and just not knowing who I was and trying to figure out like, who am I, right? Where do I fit in this world? And I always been on my own. I always been, always living in a very uncomfortable environment and me being uncomfortable pretty much all my life. That was my comfort zone, right? So me figuring out life when I, when I ended up getting out after uh, prison, I really had to figure out who I was spiritually, but figure out who I am also to identify where do I fit in this world, right? Being born into a system that everything's done for you as a, as a child and trying to survive and then transition to another environment, the justice system, to everything's still done for you, right? And to becoming a, getting out as an adult, 
I went in prison at a very young age and got out, got out as an adult. And, you know, just trying to figure out who I was, uh, trying to lead, lead the red road path as an indigenous person in this world is there's a lot of baggage to it. Right. And, you know, unfortunately I was helped out by an individual that was a huge community activist back in Winnipeg. So I'm originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba and, you know, growing up with that type of lifestyle and then being led by an individual that I have the most respect for. And he was a father figure to me. His name's Mitch Bourbonnier from uh, Winnipeg and he uh, leads a lot of uh, nonprofit organizations. And he kind of gave me life after, after all that, those trials and tribulations that I went through and he took a risk with me, be able to uh, put me in a position that I get to help out others and me helping out others. I ended up helping myself out and it kind of gave me a lot of identification with myself and a lot of purpose with myself. So working with young youth, risk youth that are getting out of prison or risk about being exploited and be able to uh, guide them. And uh, with my, my life experiences, I learned a lot with myself also to be able to uh, utilize my experiences as a navigation and a tool to be able to how to work in this world, right? And yeah, I ended up doing very well. A lot of opportunities to be able to help out in a nonprofit organization community out in Winnipeg, be able to have a lot of youth under my care and under my supervision and you know guide them, right? I was uh, helping out with the action therapy which they do is a lot of land-based therapy. So it's not nothing traditional as a clinical therapy. It's like we get to go out, go to ceremonies, hit the drum, sing, and practice our culture, right? You know, there's a lot of youth out there that, that are very intimidated by just sitting in a chair and talking to, you know, somebody that's non-Indigenous compared to, you know, it's our culture, it's in our blood to be able to sit in a bush and how much they would, you know, talk and allow them to freely speak what's their issues are while they're, you know, being a firekeeper in, in, in the bush, right? That's part of our culture. And I really resonated with that a lot. And, and I felt that that was, that was uh, really my calling. And I ended up doing that for a while, ended up in a lot of opportunities working with the government at the hospital and becoming a community support worker a lot and uh, be able to have a leadership role. And with, with that, it comes with a lot, a lot of responsibilities, right? So me still figuring myself out and uh, able to have opportunities to be having that leadership role. It gave me a lot of self-identity, a lot of confidence in myself and to be able to no longer be under somebody's thumb. Right. So I was very fortunate about that and made a lot of, made a lot of press with that and made a lot of good, good attention, healthy, healthy, positive feedback from that, from the community. And, you know, one thing led to another with, with all those opportunities. And unfortunately, when, when COVID hit, you know, I was let go of all my, my positions. And, um, you know, I, it was my first time buying a house. I got myself a, a car, was really responsible, you know, setting myself up, being established in society. And, you know, after all that, it was kind of like I was mentally going down that dark path again. After I lost my house, lost a car, felt like I was kind of moving backwards. And I really took notice on, while the lockdowns were happening, I took notice a lot on cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. And I really enjoyed the complexities of that. Like I just, I'm all self-taught and I ended up just locking myself in a room studying all crypto, what's the use cases and how uh, blockchain could be the fundamentals of assets, right? So I ended up studying so much that I ended up getting a, a job with the blockchain company out in Winnipeg and uh, they hired me as director of special projects and I ended up working there for, you know, a little bit over a year. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of knowledge out of that, a lot of network out of that, a lot of experience and uh, really put me in a, a more 
advanced community that can that can really help me and mentor me to be able to uh, create my own company. So I ended up resigning, and I ended up creating my own company called Decolonize Capital. And what I do with my company is I create solutions through technology to be able to minimize indigenous issues. So when I was a social service worker in the community, it's required to have two supporting documents to get a photo ID from the government. And that photo ID can get you into the banking system, right? Predominantly, a lot of my, my um, clients were First Nations and they really lacked the tools and resources to be able to support those two documents to be, get a, to be able to get a photo ID. Now they are pretty much obligated to go to money marts and these money marts are pretty predatory and they get they hold their value against them to receive their value, right? So with blockchain technology, the cr- company that I created is that we solve that issue by digital ID, digital wallets, and our own currency. So I've developed financial ecosystem that separates ourselves from the Canadian monetary system that we can able to have our own ecosystem with internal infrastructure and to be able to have our own blockchains, which is indigenous owned, indigenous led on First Nations lands for data sovereignty, right? So we're doing that. And I'm very, very happy to say that we've completed our front end prototype and we're able to communicate with each other with private social networks. It's kind of like Facebook, but we're not Facebook. We don't exploit the data. We don't, we don't extract it and monetize it. So there's no ads and they are able to make high level decision making skills on there with our high level decision making uh, opportunities, I guess, like with chief and counsel to be able to have no fear of their information's being exploited in any way or collected. So, wow. <laughs> what an amazing story. I have so many questions. Um, obviously, being a nerd, I'm going to dive into that stuff. But before we go there, just listening to your story, I mean, it's, it's so powerful. You went down into the darkness and mm-hmm. then you came back out and things looked like they were going amazing. And then things took a turn and you, you, you managed to recover twice. So you're twice recovered from, from the darkness. Now, I guess the first time and then maybe follow up with the second time, the first time that was there a point where where it just the light bulb went on and you turned it around or was it a whole bunch of a series of a whole bunch of little things that just kept leading you out? Yeah, that's very good question. Very good question. So, you know, me growing up on my own, I grew up with a ton of violence and abuse and uh, that was very normal for me. Right. And me being in foster care, I was fortunately enough to be into a, I have a very good foster home. So I had my first birthday, I had my first everything, first Christmas, everything, right? It was non-abusive. It was very, they're, they're a Ukrainian Christian home. And that gave me a lot of hope. You know, I was like, man, like I'm an individual, like if you give me a compliment, I was thinking like, I'm so defensive, like what's the catch, right? But with them, it gave me a lot of, you know, it's not just abuse. It's not just violence, right? I'm not just being used. So that gave me a lot of hope. And I, I kind of stuck with that, those characteristics that they, that they introduced in my life. And um, I always kept that in my mind. And I, I was kind of like my, my calling in a way, like that's where I, instead of, it was like a little flashlight, like I was like something's distracting me from the violence and I went into that direction. Right. And I was pretty much my, my wake up call is, and like, I'm done with this lifestyle. I don't want to be part of this. And I want something else, right? And yeah, that's that's kind of pretty much the beginning point from from there on. So you got um, because of this foster home and these foster parents, you you sort of gained a realization of life could be like, and you're like, I want that. Yes, 100%. and that was your guiding. Yes, going for one hundred percent, and that was it. Gave me a lot of like value in a way of like education, 
I finished my education when I was inside prison, read a lot of books, you know, um, instead of having an answer for something, you know, I, I took the feedback, calculated and, you know, gave the response, mm-hmm. you know, it gave me a, a lot of different type of way of just with myself, holding myself accountable, right? Mm-hmm. That's so cool. With regards to your indigenous background and, you know, my first introduction to you was at a a tech event (laughs) yesterday, essentially. Mm -hmm. But you you spend a lot of time here at Platform Calgary and you're you know a lot of people and you're moving, moving, moving and shaking and getting your business going and stuff like that. I'm not sure if anyone's ever really spoke to you about this before, but I'm curious. So I want to ask you how how does it feel and what is it like, I guess, sort of being in that space that's kind of between your traditional and indigenous world, which is, which as we all know, is quite different than, than mm-hmm. the, the modern world, especially in tech. And yet you're so deeply involved in the modern world with the tech and everything. How, do, how does it feel? And, and I guess with your, with your ties to your indigenous history, and, and I'm assuming you're still heavily involved in that because why else would you be doing what you're doing? Absolutely. Can you just kind of give us a little understanding for someone who, you know, I only know what I know, which is very little. So Definitely. I'd love to hear kind of how that how Absolutely. That is. Good, good question. Um, you know, a lot of mixed emotions being, being in this world, obviously in this, in this side of the space, you know, being predominantly like non-Indigenous in this space, uh, it's, it's, it could be intimidating for sure. And it could be it could be intimidating for others also, right? So me being in a space, I got to remember like I'm being a voice for my own people, but also setting a path also, right? My, my goals are to be able to indigenize the tech space a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, indigenous people, we've been excluded from society itself, right? We're such a very secluded community and a lot of mistrust. There's a lot, a lot of broken trust and be able to build those trusts and be able to simplify what I'm doing for the indigenous people into the space so they can gravitate to that, right? There's a lot of indigenous artists that are, have beautiful artwork that, that can be digitized into NFTs <laughs> and that can be able to set royalties and new stream of income, right? To be able to understand how blockchain, so we can actually put resources from our own land onto the blockchain and be able to hold the government accountable instead of or even these other companies that come in onto our land and extracted more resources than they actually really claim, right? So to be able to attract that type of new tool, you know, into this, to, the, to that space, to be able to bridge that. And it's, it could be def, def, definitely difficult because I do get a lot of friction also from, from my community, but also I do get a lot of support too. Okay. So I think it's the younger regime that's going to gonna get, get what's going on, right. see the value, but the older regimes, obviously, they're, they're still in their ways and that, that trust is definitely hard to regain. But to be able to show them the tools that I've created in this ecosystem that's Indigenous-led, right? Anybody can make technology if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Anybody can, right? But their perception on it is like, it's all government-owned, right? Oh, so what I've my response is that is that, look, I'm self-taught. I've learned all by myself during the lockdowns and... Anybody can make technology for their own use cases and their own purposes. What I've done is I built a community-based technology that understands indigenous issues. So we're also digging into AI technology. And so we're fine-tuning that AI prompt. So when they ask, like, how do we become a better person? It doesn't just come with generic data points to say, this is how you become a better person. It actually gives you more of a wisdom and indigenous perspective back, right? And then while we're developing, we're developing 
compatible with smart contracts. And so when they can put their information on there, they go directly to their chief and council, their, their community, because there's a lot of off-reserve indigenous people, like our homeless brothers and sisters that are all over the city here. And they can put those, their certain information, like a treaty number and their treaty band, and it'll directly link them to like, say, their local hotline and be able to dish tokens out to them so they can buy food, they can go to hotels that we're partnered with, or they can get, you know, clothes from the Goodwill or some sort, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different ways you can utilize technology, but I'm doing it for the people to be able to have a community-based perspective on it. Oh, yeah. I love that. And I still have so many more questions, but, but the one on the top of my head right now is when, when, you, when you talk about that, so, so you're, you're essentially using a cryptocurrency that's indigenous only, essentially. Um, if, you, if you speak about your, your homeless brothers and sisters on the street, they're not going to have a smartphone. Mm-hmm. So how do you overcome that part of it? Absolutely. So there's a lot more indigenous people that have phones and bank accounts. So that's the way I look at it and be able to partner up with like the shelters, right? And be like, look, this is what we're doing. Maybe they don't have to have the newest phone, right? Mm-hmm. We can be able to have, you know, I'm sure there's going to be phone providers that have older phones, but their smartphones sitting on the shelves just mm-hmm. collecting dust, right? Mm-hmm creating those type of relationships to be able to partner up and, you know, have a community-based project, pilot project to be able to help out, right? Not just that, but they can also go to their local library mm-hmm. and still have a digital wallet. Yes. Right? Yes. Right. So stuff like that, even shelters that have computers for like resumes, but they still have the internet access, right? All you need is the internet access to be able to have a digital wallet. Um, so that, that's like definitely the, the steps that we're, we're, we're definitely going forward with. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's really, really neat. Now, I guess with... I'm not sure if I caught how much of this was your vision and how much of this is currently in, in place or at least in, in alpha or beta. So can you, can you kind of tell us how that's, how it's going? Where are we at right now? Absolutely. So I've created, like I'm all self-taught and I've built everything on my own. I've created a private social network. I haven't figured out a name of it, but we do have daily users onboarding themselves and utilizing the, the new social platform that we have. It's all indigenous owned, their own look and feel. You're able to make posts, connect, notifications, video call, and there's a lot of Web 2 functionalities, wow. but right now I want to put Web 3, but I don't want to overwhelm them mm-hmm. with all the, the, the features. So we have the front end completed and you can actually get it on your Android phone. Mm-hmm. Right now we're trying to develop it on the iOS at the moment because there's a lot more complexities to be able to put it on there. Right. But other than that, we are front ends all ready to go. We have our own chain and we have our own tokens also. Okay, so, so you've, you've actually created yes. your individual cryptocurrency. Correct. So, um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's essentially like a CBDC, but we are FNDC, First Nation Digital Currency that stays into our ecosystem, backed by a real world asset. Let's unwrap that a little bit more. And so can I ask just from a nerd perspective, what, what's the underlying blockchain for your new currency? So good answer. So we have our own chain. We're not going to be able to go on any, we are on our own main chain. We don't go on Ethereum. We don't go on Cardano. We don't utilize anybody or exchange just due to because the whole FTX and all these yeah, other, yeah, yeah. other debacles that happened. Um, if I put my intellectual property on somebody else's chain and if they go down or if they hard fork, I go down with them. Right. right. And then I, I am trying to be a leader in the, the space and it would kind of work backwards if I'm utilizing someone else's in, and I'm putting their, my data and anybody else's data on there. So I would like to be the owner of the chain, and then be able to have data sovereignty, keep these chains on First Nations lands because we're not going to have no data analytic or 
bookkeeper come into Orlando and say, let me see your guys' yeah. chain, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, if no you really do, you can just go on Etherscan and just see the blocks anyways, right? Yeah. But other than that, we'll be the owners of the system, but we got to also train and educate indigenous people how to operate these systems because they're going to be the administrators at the end of the day, right? right, right. So they got to understand how the value of this and they got to understand that they are able to have become their own bank, data sovereignty, but also control their own data in, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. all levels. Right. And, and blockchain technology is perfect for, for this because if you have a series of indigenous owned data centers on indigenous land run by indigenous people, mm-hmm. then each one of those data centers can have some nodes that are, that are basically running and maintaining the blockchain. Correct. And so literally sovereignty, like you, you can do whatever you want and no, and, and actually to even add to that, no, I apologize if, if I'm not using the right technology or terminology, but if, if a band in Manitoba wants to do something different than the, the rest of like your vision is or whatever, they wouldn't have control over the chain because they only have mm. a few nodes on it. Cause you'd have nodes all across Correct. North yep. America or potentially farther. Yep. Okay. So that makes perfect sense. If, if people don't know what I'm talking about, I apologize. I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, but okay. So it's a private chain run on indigenous data centers on indigenous lands, mm-hmm. which I actually didn't even know there was. So is that, is that a fairly yeah, big deal? hundred percent. Yes. A huge deal. Okay. Uh, it's not going to be some node that's sitting in a corporated office downtown in the city, right? Right. They own the chain. Nobody cannot, it, it's like backed up by encrypt, encryption, cryptography, mathematical guaranteed systems, no gas fees, and we're able to have our own ecosystem, our that's own cool. internal infrastructure, right? And with our own financial ecosystem also, right? And what we're trying to create is like mechanisms because and they can be be able to exchange those tokens and then they just kind of dilute the, the ecosystem. So I'm currently developing like ways to be able to understand how to keep that value inside that ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, I, I, I find it a healthy challenge, you know, fun challenge, but it's, it's, it's something that I, I do take really serious and right. be able to have our own ecosystem, keep right. it, keep it instead of having inflation, higher cost living, right? And the Northern communities, this would really help out a lot because, you know, they're paying like $50 for a, you know, jug of milk, right? So with our tokens, we were able to scratch that off and be able to have our own infrastructure, indigenous owned businesses, right? Yeah. Be able to accept accept these tokens, gas stations, right? Indigenous owned hotels, right? So they'd be able to create that ecosystem, be part of that ecosystem and have have a, be a major player uh, in in Canada with that. So this is so cool. So that. In my, in my head, so I'm going to move away from the, your indigenous stuff right for the moment, but in my head, when it comes to blockchain and cryptocurrencies, the vision for that cryptocurrency taking over the world, I guess, and not needing fiat anymore is not having to convert back and forth between fiat. Mm-hmm. And so this particular use case that you've come up with literally eliminates, well, as the way I'm looking at it, it literally eliminates fiat from the game because you are issuing tokens in your native cbdc mm-hmm. uh, it's not really a cd cbdc fndc yeah yeah you're distributing tokens to your people and 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 people around in in similar communities and then they're using those tokens to purchase goods mm-hmm. from your own community Correct. who's going to accept those tokens and then they can use those tokens to buy their family foods and and all that kind of stuff Correct. 
So I guess at some point, there's probably still going to need to be a Fiat on-ramp or off-ramp. If you, it, let's say someone wants to go buy a car, mm-hmm. well, the indigenous people have not yet built a car company that builds indigenous cars that could all work on this token. But there, how, how does that, although it's not going to be required a ton, I imagine, mm-hmm. How does that off? How does that ramp work between Fiat and your? Token? Correct, correct. That's great, great question, and I, I ask myself that all the time, right? <laughs> and we were definitely creating mechanisms, partnerships, and be able to create those relationships for that. I can't say too too much about that, but uh, definitely that's area that we're definitely always daily trying to solve. Also, okay, right. Okay. Well, what just popped into my head, and I don't know if this is helpful or if you've already talked about it, but for the indigenous people that are actually working in the the uh the the greater community you know they're getting paid in dollars for their job so they could trade some of those dollars to another indigenous person for some of the tokens mm-hmm. because they can still buy milk and whatever Correct. using those tokens so they so all of those indigenous people that already have one foot in in the other the other world could also be part of that solution Right. By saying, you know what, I'm going to contribute back to my people and I'm going to buy some tokens by selling dollars to somebody. So I guess there's, a, there's, there's, I could see a bunch of ways that absolutely that happen. And then there's obviously the commerce that the small businesses, like if you have a gas station, you still need to bring in chocolate bars and milk and all mm. that. Well, maybe not milk, but chocolate bars and, and whatever else. Right. So there still has to be transition between that community and the real world the real world the outside world i don't know what right terminology that, that conversion though for sure I, yeah. I totally understand that and you know those are definitely areas that like we move so far ahead then I'm, I'm happy that we're at that point to be able to figure that problem out yeah right and you know our tokens backed by a real world asset so it's pegged by that assets market okay and be able to understand how to fractionalize that token and be able to like say like that token's worth so many x amount of dollars but then you're buying a a $5 chocolate bar, right? And you'll be able to understand how to bring that into a fractionalization change and be able to, there's so much like use cases you can do for it, like complexities and the architecture to it, because do you want to get change in real dollars or do you want to get change in tokens, right? So you definitely have to keep that ecosystem uh, up and running, a lot of volume and activity, right? And it's not just indigenous people in Canada, it's in America. Yes. And there's indigenous people in Australia. There's indigenous people in Mexico, right? So indigenous people are global. Yes, yes. So if, if definitely we'd like to validate this in our own backyard and be able to have that and be able to dish this out to other communities that are in need of this type of ecosystem. Okay, I want to address one other thing. You had you had spoken about how more, sorry, the, the younger generation seems to be understanding and adopting this, but yep. the the elders and the older generation are having trouble with it. What, what do you think? Okay. So I guess you you did sort of say that they, they think that it's being controlled by the government. So they don't, they just need to be essentially educated by the younger people Mm -hmm. saying, no, 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 this is actually ours. Correct. This is actually, okay. So yeah, yeah, I go with the, the approach of, with that is that look, like us indigenous people were so adopted to, you know, their, their adoptions were so dependent on their, their, new ways in their systems right and i t- I was telling my people like i'm not the government like i'm the last person to be able to say i'm the government like uh, the experiences that i have and stuff you know i'm a bit military more more military minded like let's just do this right and to be able to show them like look like either it's coming no matter what cbdc's digital identity 
blockchain, it, it's coming no matter what, like it or not. And living in a cashless society, like, do you want to depend on the same people that nearly wiped out our very existence or somebody that's created a whole infrastructure, a whole ecosystem for indigenous people, right? So the, I know this, the adoption may be a lot more slower, mm-hmm. but, you know, in the 10 years from now, we're definitely going to be thankful that there's, a, there's something like this that's up and running. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds to me like you just need to hit that point where it moves from a few people trusting you and trying it out to being the thing you need to do. And then at that, at a little bit past that is yep. this is the way it is. Yep. So it's, it may take, like you said, 10 years, maybe less, but it's just, it's such a, an absolutely brilliant idea. I'm really happy that I got a chance to meet you. And I do know a little bit of, of some of the other stuff. So I want to ask you a couple more questions mm-hmm. with regards to the comment you made about it being backed. Uh, the currency being back. Could you, are you able to talk a little bit yeah, more yeah. about that? Sure, for sure. So uh, what's beautiful, what we do, it's going to be backed by gold, mm-hmm. right? And so we own the mine. And what's beautiful about it is that we, as an Indigenous person, I want to play that environmental, the environment narr- narrative. So we don't extract the, the gold at all. We keep it into the ground and it's still backed by the 43101. Mm-hmm. It's a like high standard for, yeah, that's that's gold, right? We still do the ge- geologist to be able to put it in there and understand how much how much gold that we have in that area, and what what's cool about it is that it's the same thing as in like say you do extract that gold and it's put in a vault and you don't see it ever again. You're mm-hmm. just trusting somebody saying yeah. that's there, right? But here, exists. like yeah. we we it's on indigenous land, it's on sovereignty land, and we don't extract that. We keep it in the ground. We don't we don't disrupt Mother Earth, and we can tokenize our own resources. So there's a lot of resources that the indigenous people have, but they don't, they're not able to extract that wealth because they don't want to disrupt mother earth. Yes. But with tokenization and smart contracts and blockchain, we are officially able to tokenize our, our wealth and be able to put on a blockchain and start trading with each other globally. Unbelievable. Right. Unbelievable. I love it. That's fascinating. Okay. So the, you sort of started things with the, with the currency and, the, and now you've got this social network that people are starting to adopt. Mm. What's next? What's the next big for sure chunk? So we're at a like pre, we're pre, pre-funded. We're at a point that we're looking for fundraising, looking for funding to be able to push the project forward up to speed. We've done a lot of the front end, built all on our own. When we're talking about lean, we are super lean, right? <laughs> and um, be able to have the right partnerships that believe not just the vision, but believe also the long vision that what we're doing and we're pretty selective. We've, we've had a lot of attention from others that would like to participate, but wasn't just would fit doesn't our, doesn't fit in our, in our vision, right? Um, but with that, like, we need to be able to get the back end up and going now, right? And to be able to get that technical architecture, the data, the scalability, right? That's, that takes a lot and be able to have full stack developers on the team also. So yeah, we're definitely looking for, uh, we're at the front of family, but we're also looking for people that also believe in the vision, be able to want to be part of the vision and get this project going up and going like full, 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 full effect. So nice. Yeah. Just one little question regarding that is when you're, when you're looking for, for that funding, are you looking very specifically for indigenous focused funding or are you looking for other funding like Alberta Innovates or, or a venture capital fund where they want to do good with their dollars as right. well. Like can maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Absolutely. We're, we're always open to all types of funding. Okay. Uh, 
if you believe in our vision and if we walk the same path, definitely, I'm always open to that, right? When I first started, I was always looking for more indigenous funding, but it was very difficult because I get a lot of friction, right? But definitely open for like all types of funding, as long as you, you fit the, our, our ways of what we're doing, right? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's definitely worth to take a look at. You can definitely go to decolonizedcapital.com and with our own private social, private social media, it's actually decolonized.info. And May 5th at the Discover Tech YYC, we're going to be doing a soft launch and oh, nice. uh, be able to show a demonstration of what we're doing here at the platform. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Um, okay. So I guess what with that investing, that opportunity to get some capital to help grow this, is that going to cause you grief with a lot of the indigenous people and their elders and such? Is, 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 that, is that alone going to cause you a lot of grief? Uh, or do you know? I, I don't, I've never thought of that actually, but I don't, me personally, I don't, I don't see that at all. Right. Good. I don't, I, I have a vision. I am the formula. I'm solving a lot of issues that I went through. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I am worried about is my community's feedback about uh, this is the way things should be done. You know, I think what I'm doing is uh, something that's going to be very impactful in a positive way. And if I am able to create relationships with others to be able to push this vision forward, I definitely am doing that. Right. Nice. Um, what I like to do is like keep, keep the vision alive. And, and I have a very uh, clear clarity of what I'm doing and not be distracted by dollars at all. Okay. Right. So it's, it's definitely a passion project and it's built by life experiences and to be able to utilize my experiences in life to be able to I'm not trying to stop the bleeding, but I'm trying to slow the bleeding down right. is what I'm trying to do. Right. Yeah. And, and help people is ultimately help people who want help. hundred percent. Because there are people that don't want help or are not ready for help that you just can't help. Right. So right. it's, it's sort of like the 80, 20 rule, I guess, where you're just sure, saying like, yeah. you know what, we can help so many people. We yep. can't help everybody. And, and you know, this, this is going to be self-sustainable, this mm-hmm. ecosystem. And I'm, I'm not going to push what I'm doing down people's throats. I'm just going to let the results speak for themselves. Right. That's it. Right. That's amazing. There's, there's already a couple of First Nations that are very interested in what we're doing. They have their eyes on us. You've got some LOIs with them and be able to, uh, you know, onboard them onto our systems. They just need to, like, it's like when you pay for something, you, you don't know how email transfer works or when you tap your credit card or your debit card, you just know it's going to work, yeah. right? It's a zero trust environment yeah. that... You don't have to worry about the back end. Just understand that it's for you. It's going to work, and you no longer have to be utilizing colonial ecosystems that they barely play a part in, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's really really cool. So, I guess as as we wrap this up, and, and thank you so much again for your time. This was mm-hmm. really fascinating, and and just I just feel really honored to be sitting here with you. Um, for the listeners of this podcast, what could they do aside from money, which is the obvious one? Mm-hmm. What what would you what, what could you use as help? Like, have you, do you already have inroads to all the indigenous communities or, or are there, are there ones that you have no connections whatsoever and you could use some help with? Is there, is what kind of things could the community here, whether they're on the one side or, or on the indigenous side is what could help you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great question. So I'm, I moved here since November in Calgary, right? And I had a pretty big following in Winnipeg. I worked in a community a lot, great connections out there. But here, still new, still understanding the landscape and trying to get into the community more. And, you know, 
Winnipeg has a more bigger indigenous population than here in Calgary. But, you know, to be able to help me bridge those relationships with the uh, communities that are out here, indigenous influencers, indigenous leaders, thought leaders, organizations, nonprofit or for profit, to be able to uh, just, yeah, bridge that relationship and allow me to do the rest. Right. So absolutely. And and if you're interested in, in helping in any way, I also do like a, a fundraiser also. So I'm on fundraiser.com. You can just put Brown Eagle and you can, you can see me there also. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we'll link to everything that we can in the show notes for people who are really interested in digging into this a little bit further. Thank you, Brown Eagle, for being here. This was really fun. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you, Megwitch. Thank you. Cheers. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. Going beyond creating custom software solutions, NIM is dedicated to making a positive impact on society, providing opportunities for new software developers to gain real-world experience and contribute to meaningful projects. You get quality, affordable solutions at the same time you're supporting the growth and development of the next generation of skilled talent. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.